0: Welcome to the first installment of Flyover, where I, Lily Shen, talk to young LGBTQ Asian American Pacific Islanders that grew up in my home state of Indiana. Today, I'm talking to Rahul Durai, a 17-year-old climate activist from West Lafayette, Indiana, when Rahul isn't in school, he spends his time at the statehouse advocating for environmental and energy causes. But being gay himself, Rahul is also concerned for the future of LGBTQ Hoosiers. In the past couple of years, Indiana has passed several pieces of legislation targeting the LGBTQ community. We're going to talk about that legislation, how Indiana maintains its Republican supermajority, and how Rahul feels about all of it. I'm Lily Shen, and this is Flyover. Rahul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for chatting with me. Absolutely. Could you start by introducing yourself? I feel like you could do it better than I can.
1: Yeah, my name is Rahul Durai. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I am going to be a senior this year at West Lafayette Junior Senior High School. Yeah, I'm just a normal high school student, but also I'm a climate advocate in the Indiana State House. I'm the co-executive director of Confront the Climate Crisis, a statewide organization of high school students advocating for climate action in, in Indiana. Um, but I'm also identify as Asian and gay, which we're going to talk about today, I know.
0: Got it. Yeah, sounds great. So I wanted to start from the beginning. So if you could tell me about your family, and I'm curious, how did you guys end up in Indiana?
1: yeah. So both of my parents were born in India. They were born in the southeastern state of Tamil Nadu, but they both made their way to the United States eventually for college. Now, they settled in West Lafayette, Indiana, where my mom was pursuing her PhD and my two older sisters were born. But my parents encountered issues with their immigration status. They couldn't renew their visa, so they had to move to Canada where they were able to become citizens in one year. In Canada, it's much easier for immigrants than in the U.S. Wow, nice. Yeah. So I was born in Winnipeg, Canada in 2006. Just before fifth grade, my mom got a job with Pretty University. So I've been in West Lafayette, Indiana for um, almost seven years now.
0: Wow. So like a substantial amount of time. Yeah. And so you would call like Indiana home.
1: Yes. I consider myself a Hoosier.
0: Well, I feel like when you think of climate change... Indiana isn't really the first place that comes to mind. People are more focused on the coasts or places where natural disasters are more prevalent. So what drew you to climate activism specifically?
1: I've always understood that climate change is the most existential threat of our time. And especially since I have a lot of family in South India who are part of the many um, populations on this planet, in the especially in the global south, who are facing the reality of brutal extreme heat from climate change. And then I guess eventually learning that Indiana does have such a large um, importance when it comes to this issue that Indiana is the top 10 states for carbon emissions and one of the top 10 states for carbon emissions per capita, that we have more super polluting power plants than any other state, according to an analysis from the Weather Channel. Um, Just understanding that I live in a state that is disproportionately causing the climate crisis and making others on this planet, particularly those in the global south, face the harsh realities of this crisis, um, but it it really was um, the first climate strike I attended in eighth grade in September of 2019. It, it really inspired me seeing so much passion. That really inspired me to get involved. Um,
0: yeah. Awesome. And then fast forward to today, and you've built up quite a reputation in Indiana for environmental activism. I feel like... Most people in this sort of small world that we have in Indiana know you, know about Confront the Climate Crisis. And I'm curious what you've been up to. What did you do this last legislative session? And can you tell me about your work right now?
1: Yeah, well, you know, for the past two years at Confront the Climate Crisis, we have been working on a bill to create a statewide climate task force and a statewide climate action plan for Indiana and... That bill was authored in 2022. It didn't get, it did not move forward with a committee hearing at all. The chairman of the committee chose not to allow the bill to be considered in committee. Um, but then we pushed for it a second time this past year in 2023. And this past year, it got a committee hearing. It, this was back in February of 2023. Um, we had um, almost an hour long committee hearing in which um A number of stakeholders gave testimony about the reality of the climate crisis and Indiana's importance in it. It didn't get a vote in committee. The chairman chose to hear it but not give it a vote. So um, we are continuing to work on this at Confront the Climate Crisis. I lead our legislative um, operations. So we are planning to push legislation again next legislative session, especially since after the hearing, a number of legislators indicated interest in in taking this issue up again next year.
0: Wow, I mean, so you've been doing a lot of work for this. But as we both know, climate change wasn't the only issue on the table this legislative session. Probably no, this past legislative session has been filled with a lot of hurtful legislation towards LGBTQ plus users. Um, There are two most controversial laws passed for those who don't know were House Enrolled Act 1608 and Senate Bill 480. So the first one, HEA 1608, was modeled after Florida's Don't Say Gay law and it bans instructions on, quote, human sexuality in schools and requires schools to tell parents if their kids request a change in pronouns or a change in name. And then we have Senate Bill 480, which bans gender-affirming care for minors. So we have legislators targeting education. We have legislators targeting health care for LGBTQ plus Hoosiers and specifically youth. And how does the passing of this legislation make you feel?
1: Right. Well, you did a great job describing that. And... And I'll, I'll just be clear, um, in terms of my advocacy, most of my time spent on—most con- of my time as an advocate is spent on confronting the climate crisis, and I'm I'm really—I really stick to environmental and energy issues, so I am not necessarily someone who's in the middle of the this fight, but I do make sure I keep myself informed and follow these, because I'm, I'm sure it would be easier for me to try to ignore this and to— to not read the articles, to not watch the the debates on the on the the floors of the legislature to not watch the hearings. It would be easier to put up with these legislators in meetings if i wasn't fully aware of everything that they're doing, but um I make sure I keep myself informed because. I strongly believe in truth and and honesty with myself and and just being aware of of how many idiots are in our legislature. So, to get to your question, it, I mean, it is just mind-boggling how persistent these legislators will be in hating on of such a vulnerable community for their political benefit. And it's important to remember in 2022, House Enrolled Act 1041 passed. This was the bill to, um, to, ban, to, to, to ban transgender girls from uh, participating in girls' sports. So th- they already had a huge bill... Hating on LGBTQ youth. And then they come back the next year with even more bills hating on the LGBTQ community. And so t- to someone watching, you just ask why do they keep going on and on and on hating on this community? Not because their constituents ask them to, because I don't believe the majority of Hoosiers are asking for these policies of hate mainly because it does not affect their day-to-day lives. Like, people care about whether they can put food on their table. They don't care about— Most people don't care about what pronouns teachers are allowed to use for their students.
0: So you're saying that you don't really believe that Hoosiers care about issues such as pronouns or trans girls in sports. But if that's the case, then how— do LGBTQ issues become such a battleground year after year? And why are Republican legislators choosing to fight so hard on these issues?
1: Because um, we live, especially in such a gerrymandered state, like so much of the electoral success of our Republican politicians is determined by their ability to appeal to the Republican base, to the most extreme Republican voters, Um, There's a number of ways. I mean, political fundraising. When they appeal to the most extreme voters, they'll get more political donations. And it's the most extreme voters who are most likely to donate to a political campaign. Through gerrymandering, where they're creating state Senate and House districts where Trump won with maybe 70% of the vote, the outcome of who represents that district is determined in the primary so it's not determined in the general election. It's determined in the Republican primary, and there are Republican legislators who are scared out of their mind that they are going to be one of those who loses to a Republican challenger for not being conservative enough. i It's interesting to look at our um the the race for governor because currently uh Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch is running against U.S. Senator Mike Braun for governor of Indiana. And then there's another guy named Eric Doden um, who I don't even know much about him. But <laughs> He's irrelevant. He's irrelevant. Um, it's interesting because um, a lot of people are talking about how Suzanne Crouch, our lieutenant governor, has typically been someone who gets stuff done, who isn't motivated by polarization in her work but rather is motivated through getting stuff done through finding common ground with others yet if you look at her social media for governor right now it's all about culture wars they're indoctrinating kids in schools pronouns you name it like right now it's changed so like her messaging has changed so much And that's because of this, I guess, political calculation that primary voters, because it's going to be a tough race for her to beat Mike Braun. So primary voters are motivated by these polarizing issues. So it it really comes down to elections, I think.
0: So you're saying that there's two reasons. The first reason is political fundraising. More conservative politicians are going to raise more money because the extreme conservative voters are more likely to give money. And then the second reason is primaries. Because the candidate in the general election is actually decided in the Republican primary, politicians are scared of not looking conservative enough to their conservative base. But in your experiences, as a climate activist who spends a lot of time in the state house, how do you deal with these politicians that are passing legislation that you strongly disagree with?
1: In, in terms of me personally, oftentimes, you know, when you spend time meeting with legislators and engaging with them, you know, I think as youth, especially, and if youth who want to be hopeful, we really want to think that our legislature is filled with the right people, right? We want to be able to look up to these people, to be optimistic. Wow, they're doing great things. And when it, when it comes to energy and the environment, where sometimes our legislature does do good things on energy and environmental policy, usually not, but sometimes they do good things. So you could easily convince yourself that that all of our legislators are great people who, you know, actually care about what they're supposed to be doing. But then you see the, the three anti-LGBTQ laws that were signed into law. You see the cruel abortion ban that was rushed in um, the summer of 2022 in the special session. And you realize that, at least for me, I realize that the people who are voting for these bills are not great people, to be honest. Now, why do I spend a lot of time in the state house and lobbying our legislators? Because I realize that they have power. So, and when it comes to the climate crisis, I make a choice to, even though I don't like a lot of these legislators, I make a choice to... I guess, mask the outrage I hold for the the hatred that they're signing into law and lobbying on these issues. But I don't look up to them. So I'm in a meeting with them. I'll do my best to lobby them. But I don't look up to them, specifically the ones who are pushing hateful legislation.
0: So your sort of strategy here is that you might have to deal with them in a meeting— you might have to talk to them on a regular basis. You might have to work with them and cooperate. But they're not your role models.
1: Right. Most most of our legislators, I just want to clarify that there are some people who are doing amazing things, fighting for the communities being attra- attacked, like Senator J.D. Ford and many others. But But yeah, most of them, in order to be honest with myself, I acknowledge that They're not doing great things.
0: But seeing as you're obviously still very, very passionate about LGBTQ rights in Indiana, would you ever consider getting into that fight and advocating for them on a more public and consistent basis? Or is that not an option for you right now?
1: The issue is... So I have chosen to make environmental advocacy my focus, while supporting the other causes from the sidelines, but still supporting them because they're still really important to me. For I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I'm a high school student, I kind of I, I I only have the capacity to really to focus on one issue, and I want to give it my all. Like I'm when I'm really passionate, I want to. Put my full effort into it. So I, in that way, I have to stick to one cause. The other thing is when you're dealing with these legislators who are willing to consider um, environmental and energy legislation that you support, but are voting and supporting and authoring these harmful bills, it's hard to advocate towards them on the environmental and en- energy issues if they are seeing you being on the front lines of the um, other issues. So I worry that if they see me testifying against the Don't Say Gay bill or seeing me make public engagement in those issues— that they might not take me seriously on the other environmental and energy issues, which is, again, an unfortunate reality. It is something that I know a number of environmental and energy lobbyists have had to face, like even adults who are who hate seeing youth in Indiana being attacked, but have to focus on their issues just to be to make sure that they're not treated differently by legislators because of their stances on other issues. It's a sad reality. I really wish it wasn't the case. But because that's the reality, I do my best to support um, and and to to help fight the LGBTQ bills from the sidelines.
0: And is that hard for you, making that trade-off?
1: Yeah, it is hard. I'm someone who, when I see an injustice, I want to take action. I want to have an impact. But I've realized that just because of how divisive and messed up so much stuff is at the legislature, that you can't be involved in everything. There is a reason why lobbyists kind of specialize in in certain categories. So, yeah, it's certainly, it certainly is hard for me. Um, yeah. Do you feel like even though you can't directly get
0: involved in other issues because you want to stay focused on what you're doing now and you don't want to give legislators a reason to, I guess, look down on you, do you feel that there is intersectionality when it comes to the work that you're doing with other social issues?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, when it comes to... LGBTQ issues, or really just education in general, because there was the Don't Say Gay bill trying to handcuff what certain teachers can say, but then there's also the bills from 2022 targeting, supposedly trying to target critical race theory, but again, just trying to handcuff what teachers can say on certain controversial topics. So just these education bills in general, it really comes down to our legislators not actually listening nor caring about what youth in Indiana actually think. It comes down to Hoosier youth not being heard by our legislators and legislators thinking they know what's right for us. And it's the exact same thing with climate change. Like, we understand as youth that climate change is an existential threat to our planet and to the state of Indiana. And we've, you know, made clear to them that this is a priority for us. And they've told us, for the most part, that this isn't a priority for them. So I think, the, yeah, I think the way climate change intersects with these education and social issues comes down to Hoosier youth having their voices heard Because just as I don't think the majority of Hoosiers want to see these bills passed, certainly I don't think the majority of Hoosier youth want to see these harmful bills passed.
0: When you talk about legislators thinking that they know what's best for Hoosier youth, what do you think the state needs to do to combat that?
1: Good question. Number one, we need to change our laws to make it easier for young Hoosiers to vote in Indiana and for their votes to matter. And I know youth, Where I mean, I'm under 18, I can't vote. Um, When we talk about youth, you know, we're mainly talking about those under 18, but it it serves the under 18 population when those who are just over 18 can vote and have their votes heard. So what does that mean? That means making it easier to vote in Indiana it means stopping the, um, the attack on absentee voting. And it means ungerrymandering our maps, obviously, because um, I wrote an essay for this contest about how our college towns in Indiana are especially gerrymandered. So that, especially. Our legislators are writing bills about education and claiming that indoctrination is happening in our schools. I don't think our legislators actually have been in a classroom for decades, most of them at least, I think they need to make the effort to understand that they represent all of the people in their district, not just those who are eligible to vote, all of the people, including the children. Um, and, and they need to make an effort to, to listen to children, to take children seriously. As someone who spends most of my time advocating on behalf of youth for the environment, I don't think our legislators have the, the attitude to take you seriously.
0: Awesome. And with all this being said, having talked about the goods and the many bads of living in this state, I just want to ask, are you proud to be a Hoosier?
1: I am proud to be a Hoosier because we are not defined by our legislators. The state of Indiana is not uh, defined by the Republican supermajority that keeps itself in power through gerrymandering. Because we have to remember that they are do not have a supermajority through merit. They have a supermajority through gerrymandering Hoosiers' voices and votes. In um, 2022, I kind of co-managed the campaign of my... Uh, Democratic candidate for state Senate, David Sanders. As part of David Sanders' campaign, I traveled to many different, like, small towns in in those counties, rural towns, towns that voted for Trump by wide margins. and And I met some of the extremely friendly people who cared about issues that affect all of us Not once did I, when talking to a voter, did I hear someone say that one of these culture wars is their number one issue that they care about when they're voting. I I, I just think, you know, when we talk about division and polarization, I mean, oftentimes, I mean, when you turn on the news or when you see what's happening in, in the legislature, it feels like the people who are members of the other party are terrible people. But I I do not believe that. Like I said, I believe that the Republican supermajority is in power through gerrymandering and blocking access to the ballot box. And I believe that we as Hoosiers have so much more in common than what separates us. And really, all of our communities outside of Indiana, we have so much more in common than what separates us. People are motivated not by these culture war issues, but how we can better our economy, better our education system, better our environment. That being said, I totally um, understand why some people feel scared and threatened to live in this state. If I was um, a transgender Hoosier who who could no longer take hormone therapy, if I was... A, a woman in the state or anyone who could get pregnant, I can't even imagine what that would be like. I cannot imagine what that would be like as a cisgender man. So I totally empathize with those who feel that the state is dangerous, but I do believe that the people of the state are better than, than our legislature.
0: Thank you for listening to Flyover. This podcast is funded by Northwestern's Office of Undergraduate Research under the direction of Dr. Stephen Thrasher. It is written, recorded, and edited by Lily Shen, and the audio is edited, cleaned, and mixed by Chloe Koser.